This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to People Talk. People Talk is about getting ahead at work, becoming a leader, establishing your personal brand, and motivating yourself and those around you. Hosted by Angela Hall, who has decades of experience working in the field of human resources, you can expect lively discussions about topics like workplace politics, dealing with difficult employees and clients, creating an inclusive workplace, and jump-starting your career. Here's your host, Angela Hall. Hello, this is Angela Hall, and welcome to another episode of People Talk. Today, I am thrilled to have Dr. Andrew Mason from the Michigan State University College of Engineering. Today, we're going to talk about the role of technology in uh, human evolution. I'm sure this is going to be a very interesting and provocative conversation. Welcome, Andrew. I would like to just have you introduce yourself to the audience. And once again, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, hello, Angela. Thank you very much for having me. It's always a pleasure to talk with you, and I'm uh, an honored to be a guest. Uh, background. Uh, I am a professor of electrical and computer engineering at Michigan State. I have been here for, sadly, 20 years of my life already. Um, say, I say sad because you just see the years go by too quick. Um, I was born in California, and uh, raised in Kentucky, my formative years, as they say. I started my education, college education at Western Kentucky University. You know, go Hilltoppers, what a strange mascot. <laughs> um, ironically, though, I just ran into someone here in Michigan whose, whose uncle played sports and was on the track team at, at Western Kentucky. So small world. Um, yeah, small world indeed. Uh, from there, I went to Georgia Tech and spent a couple of years in Atlanta. Um, that's where I met my my wife. Um, we got married uh, the, the day we graduated, the day I graduated. I went to my graduation ceremony in the morning and had a, a wedding in the afternoon. So yeah, that's uh, engineering efficiency coming out. But <laughs> she's from Michigan and I was from Kentucky. So it was a kind of a long trip for parents. Um, then I went to graduate school at the University of Michigan. Uh, so both my degrees in uh, Georgia Tech and University of Michigan are electrical engineering, but I started in physics because uh, like many students out of high school, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. So I took a, a broader, broader um, choice on education. After graduation, I went to the University of Kentucky. I was a uh, assistant professor there for a couple of years until I found a better opportunity at Michigan State, and uh, I've been here now quite a long time. Wow, thanks for giving me your bio. You, you did a better job of it than I would have done. So you have this illustrious career, you're professor of um, electrical engineering, and we, I know you have many different, you have deep thoughts. So some people just think um, engineers are like your, your geeky tech people in a corner, but you have broad ranging topics and so that you're interested in. And one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about is what do you think the importance of, uh, of quality technology 
education is? I mean, why, why do we need um, to be generating these tech folks and how do we need to educate them? Well, the world continues to grow uh, and technology continues to grow in importance. And we find now that a lot of uh, kids leave high school with some, some idea that they need to get into tech in some way. Uh, and at the same time, the, the knowledge base in technology, all the sciences, and particularly in engineering though, the application of science, if we just generalize a description of what engineering is, uh, it, it's growing. And one of the real challenges we face in developing college level education is dealing with this continued expansion of the, the topics that should be covered. Electrical engineering particularly suffers from this because it is sort of a hodgepodge. I mean, the only, the only central factor in electrical engineering is that there is some sort of electrical based quantity out there that includes optical electromagnetic data of any type uh, then it falls under the realm of electrical engineering and um, that becomes a real challenge and then that becomes a challenge it becomes a challenge in how to design curriculums but also becomes a real challenge for students to try to grasp what they want out of life from this continually expanding universe of, of science and technology. The question I think you asked was why though, right? Mm -hmm. Why? And well, I'm gonna expand that too. I'm gonna add a little bit something to it. So do you think that we are, why? And do you think we are producing enough quality folks to do the technology things that we need in the future? Well, that's an interesting statement. Enough quality gets to this, uh, the quantity quality. I think the colleges struggle with that question more than anything. Uh, are, we, are we here to train the quantities of people that we need or the qualities of people that we need? Mm -hmm. There's a, a, a hidden truth in, 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 in most of your higher wing schools, the research-based universities, is that education is led by people like me who have academic careers, who um, whether we knew it or not, probably entered college bound for graduate school and, and research level careers. We design curriculums largely around that. We train students to, be, to graduate, to be prepared to go to graduate school and move on though sadly, a very small percentage do. So that's say 10% of um, top 50 universities students go on to graduate school. Now that number will, it, it, as your ranking goes up, the percentage goes up. I'm sure a wide, a large majority of the Stanford MIT grads go into graduate school. But that leaves behind um, a lot of students who are not bound for graduate school they go through curriculums that are not necessarily designed for their career paths. Um, it's just a reality and it, it's, not, it's not any school's fault. It's the, it, it's the evolution of, or the history of engineering education that's got us to this point. But now that we're facing this quality quantity um, controversy, 
I think it's uh, beholden upon universities to start thinking about how they can provide better quantity education. And the, the, the market, so to speak, has come in by, uh, there are more and more schools offering engineering education. So some of the maybe second tier schools and those programs will be designed more directly for students going into employment, not, not necessarily um, structured to guide students into graduate school, but rather um, a little more have their, have their finger on the pulse of, of current industry and, and guiding people into industry. And I think that the role those schools can play is going to be going to be significant. Now, you still can't go to community colleges to get engineering degrees, but you can go to community colleges to get started. And then a lot of uh, second tier, I just mean that they're not research oriented universities and that uh, there are many of those with engineering degrees that um, may may offer uh, as good or better education in some in some times than the the heavy research-based programs. And so it's just something that we're looking at and, and finding is very important. And the, the, <laughs> the, the last year of online education, I think it's just going to accelerate the pace of this uh, analysis. And, and schools are gonna have to really take a hard look at where their patient, their patient pool, their <laughs> sorry, where their customer pool is coming from and, um, and and reorganizing our programs to, to do that. And possibly thinking of having different programs for graduate bound um, engineers and, uh, and those that are destined or desire to go directly into jobs. So I think what you're talking about what that applies to engineers applies across many disciplines. I see it in my own discipline. I was trained in a business school and now I teach in a school of human resources and labor relations. And you see a lot of people who are faculty there who really don't have much work experience. And we are, we're outside of a university setting. So we're preparing people for uh, oftentimes to be academics at the graduate level, but really a lot of our students don't become academics. They go out and become practitioners and our curriculum is really not focused around, um, not necessarily, I'm not talking about my school in general, but in gen, but like in specific, but in general, a lot of times people are teaching what they, you know, what they know, and they know academics, and they're talking about more theory than practice. And so I think that's a common, that a common problem across academics when you're having a disconnect between the, the teachers and the learners, because the teachers and the learners are having very different career paths. And I think that's kind of very salient, though, and I don't know how salient is for example, in um, engineering, I don't know if engineering is engineering, whether you're an academic or you're a, um, a, a, a practitioner, but I, I, you know, I read about how, for example, I know you're not a civil engineer, but like how we're not graduating enough of those and we don't have enough of those to maintain the roads in the future and they, they retire. You don't not, we're not gonna have the replacement. Uh, we don't have the, the number of people to replace the people who are retiring and our increased needs. Do you see that also in electrical engineering? So the undergraduates that you produce, the, the graduate students that you produce, do you think that they will be enough in quantity and quality to 
um, keep up with uh, demand in the future, especially as we as humans grow more and more uh, reliant on technology? I think that we're, we're doing a pretty good job on the quality spectrum. I think because of the, the things you said that are largely systemic across the university, uh, university programs prepared by academics and often people who've never had lives outside of academia, um, that's a, a, a reality of the way the programs evolve. So in quality, I think it's well, it's well tuned to produce quality, knowledgeable, um, strong theoretical understanding uh, graduates. In terms of quantity, I think is where we need to make some changes. Now, let me step back and say that one could easily argue that you, the role of the university is still to, whether you're going into industry or going into academia or you know, any places in between, the role of the university is to provide that fundamental solid background, maybe theoretical in, in, in most cases. Because with that, you can go into industry and learn the details of your particular trade. The, the, the details of particular trades are probably way too broad for any university to try to, to take the role of training. The, the companies will have to train people toward their own goals. So the philosophy is train in all the basics, learn the basics, and then you go into industry and you get the specifics. At the same time, I feel like there's definitely, it, it's, um, it's just like a, an escalation. So a job that used to not take an engineer to do, technology, as you mentioned, because is infusing itself in everything. And now a company wants an engineer to manage their um, their water coolant system. So they want someone who's got a solid technical background, um, who can um, read data sheets and, and solve uh, problems. And there are more and more of these sort of low tech tech jobs, I think, becoming available. Uh, even, even though in my world, for example, I deal a lot in robotics. So we think about how the challenges and control systems and AI and all these that go into robots. But the reality is a smaller set of people will be designing robots than will be needed to maintain them. So we need this tech trained workforce uh, that is not, not at the design the new generation of technology level, but is at the make it work and continue to uh, feed society by allowing that technology to, to to grow and get into every uh, aspect of our lives. So it's that level that I think we're all gonna have to take, we all being universities, um, take a serious look at how to make that adjustment. Um, one idea, for example, would be to create new, new degree programs that are more oriented toward the, the get out and work uh, engineers. And, and I think it would still be, engineering is a college of degree programs. It, it's as broad as science. So it's not like an engineer, which, and, and I know very few people who aren't engineers are even aware of this, but yeah, I have no idea what a civil engineer does, uh, despite being an engineer for 30 years. Okay, no idea, but you know what I mean. Um, but we have so many disciplines within engineering, but how do we, 
maybe there would be three or four subsets of these sort of um, practical engineering uh, type degrees where we uh, can can train people to do these these jobs of, of testing and and maintaining and utilizing technology uh, that is I think that that's where the quantity is going to come to play do you anticipate this as being um, two-year degrees or four-year degrees oh I, I so what we find now is that to be competitive a lot of a lot of our engineering students are getting master's degrees mm -hmm. already engineering is widely uh, known and and criticized for being extremely challenging to get through in four years I in our department 4.7 is the average so it's already meaning it's a five-year degree program as it is and it's hard to say that that's a disservice to the students because again this is a systemic issue our program here is set to match the expectations of all the the major programs across the country so they're all like this and the I can't imagine any two-year program, I, I guess, was the, the, the cut to the chase on that. I think it'll be a four-year program, and I think that we might end up looking at, uh, you know, five- and six-year programs for the, the other side of the spectrum. So I'm going to segue, because we only have a little bit limited time here, but I think, you know, what you said is really on point with um, what organizations like Deloitte and McKinsey have said in their white papers, uh, what the World Economic Forum has said, that um, the future skills that people need are um, technology skills. That's a very important thing. But also in those same reports, they've said that even among the tech population, or maybe even more importantly among the tech population, are the need for social skills. And I know that's some stuff that that's an issue that we've talked about before. We've talked to uh, representatives from large organizations, I know you and I, about the need that, and their efforts to train uh, people in, uh, in the STEM fields, uh, soft skills or social skills. Can you just talk to us briefly why you think that um, the ability to have those types of skills um, uh, is important, Andrew? Yes, definitely. We have sort of, a, a, I guess, a trifecta of, of, of challenges kind of coming together here that I think push us to prioritize this. We need to be prioritizing this. One is that engineers traditionally um, tend to, to fall on the, the, the spectrum of lower uh, social skills, lower social intelligence, uh, people who focus more on um, learning and, and are, are the nerds and, and maybe through their experiences in uh, adolescence uh, have not developed into the social butterflies that others do. So I think there's, there's just a well-known link between those who are interested in the science and math and, and a disconnect from, from social skills. Uh, um, at the same time, we have the when you look at career development and advancement in, in careers, social interactions, network development, the ability to uh, the ability to manage people and, and become leaders are paramount to technical skills. 
So even our brightest people have stumble when they get to get to these issues. And then the third factor is that the education system is inherently designed to minimize their the, the, a, a, an engineer science education to minimize their exposure to social skills and social development. So uh, because when all three th these things come together, we end up producing a lot of engineers who aren't even aware of some, what I find very empowering basic uh, principles of, of human social interaction that even if you're like me and you treat it as a not not a topic that you approach with feeling but you t an academic topic like tell me what the personality types are so that I can diagnose each person and then understand and have a map of how does how does this personality type react to that personality type and even if we approach it from a, an engineering very mechanical way uh, we can still, in the end, be much more productive for our careers, for our social interactions. Um, and I think leads to happier and healthier people, um, more importantly, in my mind, than, than more productivity. But uh, for those reasons, I think that social education is uh, of extreme importance right now in tech education. So that leads me in a way, it's a great segue to our, our final topic. I know that you and I have had discussions before about the importance of convergence and convergence being that you need people from multiple disciplines to be able to solve like really big grand challenges facing society, but also to, also to do the innovative, creative future of technology, future of work type of, of work. And one of the things that you know, I'm going to circle back to the topic that um, I introduced uh, at the beginning of this podcast is the role of technology in human evolution. Where do you see engineers partnering with organizations, with uh, psychologists, with other people to do things to augment uh, human performance and human quality of life? Yeah, that's uh, that's a that's a big topic. Well, let me start by kind of explaining what that concept means about the role of technology in human evolution. First, we have to respect what bio what role biology plays in evolution. And to to cut to the chase, what what we understand is that biology biological evolution has gotten us here to this point, which is great. We're very you know capable of thinking and mechanical tasks. But biological evolution really has one goal, and it's to get people to reproduce. So the, the healthier you can live, the, the, the better you can live until the age of reproduction, uh, that's where biology stops. If you go on to be a great scholar or wise thinker afterward, biological evolution doesn't play much of a role in that. I, slightly because maybe you become wiser and you're able to keep your family alive and healthy and safe and, and those things. But um, that that, that kind of gets out of the genetic mix at that time because you're no longer reproducing. So genetical evolution is, is sort of locked at reproduction. So how do we keep evolving humanity past our ability to re reproduce? And, you know, historically, we've done it through development of technology. Simple things like, you know, the capturing of the power of fire and wheel and, and tools and especially tools of war have always propelled technology. So 
I think without doubt, our ability to, to conceive and utilize new and better technologies is now dictating the course of human evolution. And by that, I mean, how can we do more as a species? How can we, we grow in our understanding of the universe, our ability to explore unknown places and, and just uh, you know, understand our, our role in, in the world is going to be heavily influenced by technology. <clears throat> and one of the ways that I think we can continue to evolve is by looking at the way humans will interact with technology directly and the concept of an augmented human, a technology augmented human. So we find this is already true with our cell phones. Everybody carries a phone and their life is changed now because of this technology, which you carry in the palm of your hand. So it, it it's essentially has augmented our realities by having this technology in place. And I have a particular interest and in where I think we can have a good impact on human evolution is in making humans, uh, increasing our awareness, our, our ability to perceive things around us. So clearly machines can detect things and see things we can't, whether it's they can see in visual spectrums and hear in audio spectrums that the human senses are not able to, but they can also detect a number of events, you know, solar flares and all these things, even using instruments that could be stored into something like a cell phone, the, we can devise devices that, will, that can sense things well beyond human capability. So I'm interested in looking at how much of that information we can get into the everyday human cognitive process. How can we get that information fed into our bodies directly like adding a, a sixth sense a technology sense to to humans and augmenting our ability to just collect information about the world and then allowing the human brain to work that into their processes so the, the, sorry, i'm sorry ahead. i don't mean to to interrupt you so we're not talking about robocop or you know something like that you're talking about a way that we have like in the in the near future being able to have this type of uh, technology well you already do right you you want to know what time it is we had watches right but now you can look at your your cell phone either one technology telling you things that you did not know what time it was exactly or what temperature it was but now you can also know where your friends are around the world uh, you you have awarenesses that weren't there before the technology um, you know, as an example, out of my research, uh, air quality levels or uh, physiological parameters. When does my heart rate get to a certain point? Or uh, what's my anxiety level? Especially, I'm interested in these social interaction parameters. Uh, how, how do the people around me feel about the interaction that we're having at this time? If I have uh, great um, social intelligence, I, I'm able to maybe make a judgment of that. But if I don't, then having the ability to augment that with machines that can analyze my social environment and feed that information to me can be highly useful. Now, there's, a, there's another side to the same technology, which is that it can be used by machines. We can make machines more personable, more able to interface with humans. But the, the, the one uh, sort of uh, provocative uh, element of this is that um, there's 
among a lot of, of technology people, real concern about what true artificial intelligence, which is something we don't currently have, media is played up and kind of taken this buzzword of artificial intelligence, but a true artificial intelligence that can, can think and grow on its own, um, we don't even know if it's possible, but if it does come about, then humans have to start being really thoughtful about their role in a future where machines can, can think and grow autonomously. Uh, so the ability to augment, to um, enhance human performance uh, or uh, awareness even um, can become one of our best tools to keep humans relevant in a, in a possible um, RoboCop future. So I think I'm going to end there, but Andrew, I'm going to ask you to come back on a future episode of People Talk. We can talk about how and opening the pod door bay and RoboCop and all those types of things. You're one of my favorite people and one of my favorite people to talk to. So I really, really, really appreciate your coming on this episode of People Talk, Andrew. It's been an absolute pleasure, Angela, and I look forward to it. Thank you. And thanks to everyone out there who's listening to People Talk. Remember, new episodes drop every Thursday, and I hope that you will join us for another episode. Take care and be well. Thanks for listening to another episode of People Talk with Angela Hall. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues. And remember to subscribe to our show. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.